Good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. I hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the pastor here, and I'm so glad that you have uh, chosen to join in worship with us here uh, this morning on this very cold, rainy November morning. Okay, let's be honest. How many of you wanted to sleep in this morning? Okay, I'm raising my hand with you. Okay, let's just be honest. It's church. We're supposed to be honest in church, right? Um, but uh, I'm glad that you're here. We are continuing in a series on the subject of worship, and we're walking through um, different aspects of worship and what God's Word says about worship. It's interesting. Um, my children are now five years old and eight years old. Um, the eight-year-old is going on about 16, and uh, the five-year-old, he's a boy, so he's going on a five. Um, so anyway... <laughs> And um, my kids, when they were learning how to speak, I remember distinctly Cynthia and I uh, helping them understand a little bit about language and a little bit about speech and, um, you know, kind of helping them come up with a lot of what they were thinking and helping them put that into words, helping take what maybe they were feeling about a situation and put it into words. And one of the areas, if you're a parent, you know this, one of the areas that you have to help your kids with um, to learn how to put into words is this idea of thankfulness. Am I right? And so at five and eight, we are still working on how to express what I'm positive is in their hearts. I know they're thankful kids. I think they're thankful kids. And so we're trying to help them understand how to, how to express gratitude. And uh, if you're a parent, you know that well, don't you? That it's very difficult sometimes. And I know when they're 13 and 10, um, that we're still going to be trying to help them learn the language of gratitude. And I got thinking the other day, in terms of this idea of gratitude and learning the language of gratitude, it's not something that, um, it, you know, kids have to learn that. But you know what? When it comes to God, um, we who call ourselves Christ followers have to do the same thing, don't we? It's very difficult for us to learn the language of gratitude when it comes to God. And so we have to practice this. We have to understand what it means um, to give God praise through thanksgiving and through gratitude and focusing on his greatness and who he is and what he has done. And, and just like our kids, we try to, we have to teach ourselves what that means. Um, it's interesting, before they go to bed at night and sometimes around the dinner table, um, we'll ask them to say the prayer to help learn the language of gratitude. And sometimes we have to do the same thing. We have to talk to God and we have to understand what he has done in our lives and who he is. And when we do that, I think we can have a better understanding of what gratitude is. I sense that sometimes when it comes to the ability to express our gratitude for what God has done, what's on the inside, we have a difficult time bringing out in words. And so my purpose today is to help guide us through what Scripture says about gratitude, about thanksgiving to God for who He is and what He has done. And hopefully as we learn the why and as we maybe learn a little bit about who God is and what He has done, we can take what we know is deep down in, in us, a, a, a sense of gratitude for who He is and what He's done, and we can learn to express that in words to Him. And I think what you'll find is that the intersection of what is deep within us, that gratitude that's really in us, and the ability to express it, I think you'll find worship. 
at the intersection of expressing the gratitude that we have, we're going to find worship. Over these past few weeks, we've learned a little bit about worship. In week one, I spoke to you about what worship is. And we talked about the fact that true worship is something that you don't make up. It's not something that's um, uh, forced. It's something that really comes from within, and it really truly is an inside-out thing. And it's something that has to be very authentic. And when it's not, it's really not worship. It's just words. We talked about the fact that singing and giving praise isn't worship in itself. It's a part of worship, and it's a result of worship, but singing and giving praise isn't worship. We talked about the fact that when you're in your car and you're singing out loud to God, probably off-key, that that's not just worship. Giving praise to God is not just worship. All of those things are a result of a lifestyle of worship. And last week, you heard from my wife, Cynthia, um, and um, for really, I guess, the second time in our church's history, you got to hear from her. And hey, listen, as a husband, I think she did an amazing job. Don't you all think she did a great job sharing? Thank you, Cynthia. She did a great job sharing about the idea that being a true worshiper really takes this idea of surrender. And when we surrender our lives, therein we find worship. And she gave her testimony, and if you haven't heard it, I want to challenge you to go back and uh, get to our website and hear from iTunes and um, hear from her uh, and what she taught last week. Um, And then next week, Cody's going to be talking about the fact that worship is really giving glory to God. I tease him because I'm like, he's going to fix everything theologically that we've messed up over the past few weeks. Because he's our resident theologian, right? All right, DTS guy. Anyway, he's going to fix everything I say this week. Um, No, but I'm excited for you to hear about Cody talking about the fact that true worship is really bringing glory to God. But what I want you to learn today is the fact that there is a part of worship, a big part of worship, in fact, it might be the centerpiece of worship, is that we give glory to God by expressing our gratitude to Him. I want to go back to a definition that I, that I taught you a few weeks ago. This was in our first week together. And it's really a, it comes from an old English word, worship. And it really means to ascribe worth or high value to something. To ascribe worth or high value to something. That's worship. That is simply what worship is. But I want you to think about it in this context. There are a lot of things in our society, there are a lot of things in our life that are competing for our worship, aren't there? There are a lot of things that want us to ascribe worth or high value to it. There's the temptation to ascribe worth or high value to our careers, right? Especially in this economy. There's a lot of temptation for us to ascribe worth or high value to money, right guys? There's a lot of temptation to give worth or high value to tangible objects, to our homes, to kids' athletic endeavors, parents, am I right? I'm learning that at five and eight years old, that there's a lot of temptation to give worth or high value to that. There's a lot of temptation to give worth or high value to our careers and our educational pursuits and that sort of thing. And the Bible says that all those things are meaningless in terms of giving worth or high value to. They may be important in the course of life, and they're important that we give God our best in those things. But when it comes to true worship, to ascribing worth or high value to something, God ought to be the center of that, and we ought to give him 
our best. Now, to help us understand this idea of gratitude, I want to give you a very simple definition, and then we'll unpack this over the course of the next few moments together. Here is a definition of gratitude. The quality or feeling of being thankful or grateful. The quality or feeling of being thankful or grateful. That, simply put, is gratitude. And we all have this innate uh, thing within us that wants to give gratitude, and it wants, it has a feeling of being thankful or grateful, but it's how we express that that I want to talk about today. It's learning the language of gratitude that I want us to dive into today and find out what God's Word has to say about that. And I think that we can better understand that if we focus on what God has done in our lives. And so I want to take a look at what does gratitude look like in the uh, life of a Christ follower. And to help us do that, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to have you turn to Colossians chapter 1. What does gratitude look like in the life of a Christ follower? And we're going to take a look at just a few verses today that I think will help us understand what this looks like. Before we dive in, let's pray this morning. Father God, we are so grateful and thankful for who you are and what you've done. Help those who are in here today who are followers of you understand how to express what may be deep down in their soul. Help them to be able to express the feeling of thankfulness that they have towards you. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to your truth and to your knowledge and wisdom that can come only from you and from the word of God. Help us to be attentive to what you want us to say this morning. And Father, may the meditation of our heart and the words of our lips be acceptable and pleasing to you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, Colossians chapter 1. It's an interesting chapter because the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians in this little city, this little town, and, and he's writing to them for the purpose of protecting their spiritual lives. You see, in the first century, uh, in the first century church culture, there were a lot of groups of people and, and people that were out there, and they were taking the message of Jesus Christ that we get from God's Word, and they were twisting it. And maybe they were even taking a, a different message that wasn't the Word of God and trying to imply that the Word of God wasn't true. There were Gnostics, there were Stoics, there were uh, 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 agnostics, there were atheists, and then there were all kind of different religions, and everybody was pushing something. And the Apostle Paul was writing a letter to the church to explain to, those, to, to the people within the church there in the first century that they needed to keep their focus, as we just sang about, they needed to keep their eyes and their central purpose of their life on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Paul was trying to explain to them that God should not be an important thing in your life, that he should be the central important thing in your life. And what he was talking about is called the preeminence of Jesus Christ in your life. Now, it's interesting because that's what the book of Colossians is about. It's a kind of a guardrails kind of book. But it's interesting because Paul, in his introduction, gives us a lot to think about in terms of expressing thanks to God. I want to read these three verses and then we're going to go back and we're going to take a look at what they say individually. Take a look at verses 12 through 14 here this morning. Paul says to the church there, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you 
to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then verse 13, he contrasts that, and he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, we'll come to that in a moment, the forgiveness of sins. And so Paul begins by saying that here's how we can thank is that we can give, uh, we can give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. And that's where I want to start this morning is that gratitude involves expressing thanks to God for who God is. Gratitude involves expressing thanks to God for who he is. Now, at first glance, I want you to take a look at this verse again. At first glance, verse 12 seems to have an emphasis on the inheritance. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I like the word inheritance. I don't know about you. That's a good word, isn't it? How many of you like the word inheritance? How many of you like the idea of inheritance? Oh, come on. How many of you like the idea of inheritance, okay? I know I'm not the only one. I've never experienced it, but I like the idea of it, okay? The idea of inheritance is great, right? Well, what Paul is talking about here is not material inheritance. It's not monetary inheritance. He's talking about spiritual inheritance, and the focus of this verse is not the inheritance. The focus of this verse is the one who can give the inheritance. Isn't that awesome? The focus of this verse is giving thanks to who? The Father. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You see, we can learn the language of gratitude when we express who God is. And who God is is amazing. He's perfect and holy and righteous And when we understand who God is, I think we have a better chance of being able to express gratitude for who he is. I want you to think this morning about God. And those of you who are Christ followers in here this morning, about who he is. He's amazing. God is amazing. Psalm 90 verse 2 says he's eternal. Revelation 4.8 says he's holy. James 1.17 says he's unchanging. Hey, that's really good news in our changing times, isn't it? Have any of you watched the news over the last 24 or 48 hours? Life changes at an incredible incredible pace. And James says that he is unchanging. Revelation 1.8 says that he's infinite. Psalm 62.11 says that he is all-powerful. Jeremiah 22.24 says that he is ever-present, that he's everywhere. 1 John 4.8 says this, he is love. That's good news for some of you who are hurt today, that God is love. 1 John 3.20 says that he is all-knowing, and that's just a short list of the attributes of God and who he is. And I want you to hear this this morning. If you're in here today and you're a Christ follower, you call yourself a Christian, giving praise, giving worship to God involves giving him thanks and gratitude for his attributes. Are you with me this morning? That's part of learning the language of thanksgiving. And that's part of learning the language of gratitude. The second thing that we can do as Christ followers, gratitude involves expressing thanks to God, not only for who he is, but what he's done. Take a look at these next 
couple verses. He has delivered us. This is what God has done. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you realize that without Jesus Christ, without the person of Jesus Christ coming to this earth, dying the death that he died, being raised again three days later, and, and, and being in the glory of God the Father, without him, we all would face eternal darkness. But because God, who is love, loved humanity so much, he sent his son Jesus to die that brutal death on the cross so that each one of you could have eternal life. And when you accept him as your savior, you have eternal life. We ought to give gratitude to God, not just for who he is, but we ought to give him gratitude for what he has done. Take a look at it again. It says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. I want you to hear this this morning. I know it's morbid. I know it's Thanksgiving. We're getting ready to get in Thanksgiving. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But I want you to hear this. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, eternal darkness is for sure. It is what it is. But God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus because he loved humanity so much. And he says, if you confess of your sins and believe in him, you will be transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. There's that redemption. There's that redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We had to praise God and give him gratitude, not only for who he is, but what he has done. And what he has done is so incredibly amazing. That's the spiritual inheritance that we have through him is we have eternal life. Colossians 1. So that's a bit of why and the how of giving gratitude towards God. But I think understanding this whole idea of the language of gratitude, expressing maybe what's in our hearts, this expression of gratitude towards God, I think there are two lessons that we're going to learn along the way that if we don't understand these lessons, it's going to be very difficult for us to express gratitude to God and very difficult for us to worship Him. And I want to talk about two lessons that I think we've got to learn in terms of gratitude. The first one is this. Our circumstances should not dictate our attitude of gratitude. Our circumstances in life should not dictate our attitude of gratitude. Because I know what some of you were thinking when I was just talking about the fact that we ought to give gratitude and thanksgiving to God for who he is and what he's done. I know what some of you are thinking because I have been there. I know this is what you're thinking. But Todd, I really don't have much reason to give thanks and praise. I've been without a job for four years. My income has been cut in half. My marriage is falling apart. Every time we head into the holidays, I think about that loved one who passed away years ago. I don't have any reason because of my circumstances to give God praise and to give him thanksgiving. And you know what? You're right. You're right. And God, nowhere in Scripture does he ever promise us a life on this side of heaven without challenges and problems. He doesn't ever promise us that our careers are going to be without bumps in the road. He doesn't ever promise us that our kids are going to be perfect and they're going to grow up great, uh, good citizens and Christian kids, and they're not going to go wayward. Man, they're just going to be perfect. 
He doesn't promise us that our marriages are going to be simple and easy and that it's just going to be like a no-brainer to get over conflict in a marriage. It's like I'm speaking a different language, right? Okay, like God does not promise that. What he promises is that we can have peace in the midst of the crisis. He doesn't promise us that we would get out of the crisis. He doesn't promise us freedom from the crisis. He promises us peace in the midst of crisis. And I think the lesson that we've got to learn, the first lesson we've got to learn, is that our circumstances should not dictate our attitude of gratitude. And I want to draw your attention to two different characters in the Bible that I think teach us this principle. The first one is Jonah. You see, there's a trend among biblical characters, even though God doesn't promise us a a perfect life and he doesn't promise us a freedom from conflict, but there's a trend among biblical characters to their response in crisis, and the first one is Jonah. Now, if you know the story of Jonah, you know that Jonah disobeyed God. God called him to go preach in one direction, and Jonah literally went, yeah, I don't think so, I'm going to go this way. And literally... On a map, he went in the opposite direction of what God was telling him to do. Some of you are like, yeah, that sounds like me right now. I've been there before. I've gone in the opposite direction of the way God wanted me to go. I get that. But Jonah found himself in a very difficult circumstance because he disobeyed God. Where did he find himself? In the belly of a what? Whale. Fish, whale, whatever you want to call it. He found himself in a very unusual place. Now think about the fact that he's in the midst of a fish in the middle of the sea, a whale, if you will, in the middle of the sea, and he's done that because he's made choices on his own accord. He's in the middle of this whale, and I'm sure it is stinky. I'm sure that it is, you know, gross. Experts say that his his flesh and his hair and everything were probably bleached white because of the acid in the middle of this fish. Isn't this a nice Thanksgiving message? Anyway, and so Jonah finds himself in the middle of this fish, and, you know, he's probably nauseous. He's probably sick to his stomach. He probably needs a Tums. In fact, he is the Tums. Anyway, so he's in the middle of this fish. (laughs) I've been waiting for that one. Anyway, he's in the middle of this fish, and he decides to change his attitude. Life circumstances will do that, won't they? I mean, if you get swallowed by a fish because you disobeyed God, the next time God calls you to do something, what are you going to do? Probably do it. And Jonah begins to change his attitude in the midst of being in the belly of the whale. And look at what he says in Jonah 2, verse 9. He says this, But I, with the voice of what? Thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There he is in that disgusting stinky, smelly situation that he's made by himself and he gives thanks to God. And you know what I've learned in my life? (laughs) Is that sometimes when you're in the midst of a very difficult situation, giving gratitude and thanksgiving to God is the first step out of that difficult situation. Am I right? The first step is often getting our focus off of what we want and what we don't have and getting our focus on him. 
Paul is another example of giving gratitude in the midst of a difficult circumstance. He and Silas were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in the city of Philippi, and it was the Sabbath day, so that city was pretty quiet. There wasn't much going on. People were worshiping. They were at home um, doing what the, the Sabbath day required, and that is, is being quiet. Well, in the first part of this chapter of Acts, in chapter 16, they encounter a lady named Lydia. And they preached the gospel to Lydia, and the Bible tells us in Acts that Lydia became a convert. In fact, most experts believe that she was the first convert, that she was the first uh, Christian convert. And so Lydia became a Christian. Well, that same day, and I'm sure Paul and Silas were like, yeah, this is awesome. This is what we're supposed to be doing for God. Well, that same afternoon, they encounter a slave girl who is demon-possessed, and she's working for her owners so that they can make money. Take a look at what happens in Acts 16, verse 19. But when her owners, but when her owners saw their hope of gain was gone, when they confronted and, and uh, uh, this demon-possessed girl, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Verse 20. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, "These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city." They, the ad, uh, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. And then, as often happens with somebody who's loud and obnoxious, the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore their garments off and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe Verse 24, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and he fastened their feet to the stocks. Take a look at what happens in verse 25. At midnight, Paul and Silas were what? Praying and what? Singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Isn't that incredible? I mean, they're probably still bloody from being beaten. They're probably bruised. They're, they're probably uh, wondering uh, what's going on, or at least I would be wondering what's going on. I'd be like, man, I, I got to get to my, you know, the U.S. consulate there, uh, you know, where, where I am here in Philippi. I've, I got to get out of this mess. God, what are you doing? Really? This is what I get for going to the city and preaching the gospel? But Paul and Silas, their response is that they praised and they gave thanks and they were grateful to God because he had given them an opportunity. And take a look what happens. As a, as a result, the prisoners were listening to them. Can you imagine being in that jail? Like, singing? Haven't heard that in a while in this jail. And Paul and Silas continued to be used by God despite their circumstance. You see, sometimes we get overwhelmed with our circumstance. And I think the first lesson in gratitude is that our circumstance should never dictate our attitude of gratitude. Does it make the circumstance that much better? Not really. Does it get you out of the circumstance? Possibly, possibly not. But you know what? In the midst of a difficult circumstance, sometimes the best thing to do is to focus on who God is and what he has done. This week, many of you will get in your cars and you'll go over the river and through the woods to grandma's house, won't you? And you'll go and you'll celebrate Thanksgiving and you'll eat lots of turkey and you'll take naps and watch football. And we do it we, uh, year in and year out. But it, always, it hasn't always been that way. Many of the Puritans, those devout followers of God Almighty, you know how often they had Thanksgiving? At least 
one day a week. Once a week, they would stop and they would give gratitude and thanksgiving to God, and they would have a thanksgiving celebration once a week together, giving praise to God Almighty for who he is and what he has done. We grow up hearing stories in school, uh, you know, in our history classes and in our civic classes of how many of the pilgrims, many of the, the founders of this country came to these shores and they gave God praise and they gave him glory. And we hear about the fact that uh, on Plymouth Rock, some of the first settlers gave God praise as soon as they got here. Well, about 20 years before that, there were a group of pilgrims that came over. And I want to read an excerpt from a book by C. Curtis Jones that explains how some of these first settlers gave thanks. And I want you to listen to the circumstances that they were in leading up to them giving thanks in these circumstances. On December 20th, 1606, three boats sailed down the Thames River in London embarking on a voyage to search for a safe port along the shores of Virginia. Susan Constant, flagship of Sir Christopher Newport's fleet, 110 feet, 7 inches long, was by far the largest vessel. Though she had only 19 bunks, she carried 54 passengers and a crew of 17. She was a sturdy ship with the crudest of accommodations. No one had any privacy except for the captains. There were no galleys. When weather permitted, food was cooked in sand pots on deck. The second largest ship in this history-making voyage was the Godspeed. It was 69 feet, 2 inches overall, and it had cramped sleeping quarters for 12, yet she listed 39 passengers and a crew of 13. Quite appropriately, one of the books used by the founders was the Discovery. The small sailing craft displaced about 20 tons of water and measured 50 feet, 2 and a quarter inches from stem to stern. The rough below was partitioned for four bunks, yet she brought over 12 passengers and a crew of nine. It required 128 days for the voyage. The founders arrived in Cape Henry, which eventually became Jamestown, Virginia, on April 26, 1607, at 4 o'clock in the morning. And on that wind-swept shore, the grateful settlers raised a large wooden cross, and they thanked God for safe travel. Immediately, they thanked God, despite the circumstances. Can you imagine all those people on those nasty boats? I used to live in New York City with the subways in the middle of the summer when it rains on a day like today, and you're in the subway. Oh, it's awful. I'm just being honest with you. It's terrible. Uh, it, uh, you know, anyway, those boats must have been awful. I mean, terrible. And those people got off the shore, and the first thing they did, despite their circumstances, is immediately kneel and thank God for who he is and what he had done, something that they couldn't do in their way in England. Sometimes we let our circumstances overwhelm us. And that first lesson in gratitude is our circumstances absolutely should not dictate our attitude of gratitude. But there's a second one I want you to learn. And that is that we represent Christ to those around us when we have an attitude of gratitude. Paul describes another reason that we should be grateful. And it's this. We represent Christ. Take a look at this from 2 Corinthians as he's writing to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the what? Fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the what? 
aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Some of you hopefully will go to the soup kitchen with Cody, but some of you will shop on this Friday, won't you? I mean, it's Black Friday, there's great deals, you'll be there at 5 a.m. waiting for Walmart to open, and that's awesome, but you know what? You get in there, and there's some guy, or some gal, sorry ladies, with perfume on, and you're, you're either like, man, that's awful, or you're like, boy, they smell good, don't they? I mean, you get two reactions, don't you? It's either really good or really bad. That's how we are to people in our world in terms of us representing Christ. We either represent him in a lovely, beautiful way, or it's repulsive. And the factor that that goes back to is our ability to give God thanks. When we give God thanks, when we give him gratitude, Paul says we are a sweet aroma of Christ, not only to each other who are Christ followers, but to those who are perishing, those who aren't saved. My question to you this morning is how well do you represent Christ through your giving thanks? How's your attitude? How's your demeanor? How is your ability to give gratitude and thanksgiving to the Almighty? I would imagine in our culture and as Americans, we struggle with this, don't we? I know I struggle with it. I know that I can let my circumstances get me down. I can do that so much that I become not a sweet aroma of Christ to those around us. But when we're thankful, we and when we express how thankful we are to God for who he is and what we've done, what he has done for us, we essentially infect others with the good news of Jesus Christ. Our country has celebrated Thanksgiving for a long time. From the early 1600s, there were times when states would celebrate Thanksgiving and they would uh, do that even before the actual birth of our United States. But Thanksgiving itself became a federal holiday in 1863 when President Lincoln had a proclamation of Thanksgiving. And I want to wrap up things this morning by reading a portion of this to you. And I want to do this. And as I read it, I want you to think about your level of gratitude, your ability to have the language of Thanksgiving. Listen to how our attitude as a country was supposed to be set up by Abraham Lincoln. He says this, the year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added to that which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate or soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of civil war, Lincoln says, of unequal magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and to provoke their aggression, peace has been preserved with all nations. Order has been maintained. The laws have been respected and obeyed. And harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict. Population, he goes on to list a couple other things that happen. I'll skip down to this. Population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege, and the battlefield. And the country rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor is permitted to expect continual years with large increase of freedom. 
And then this is the part that I want you to pay particular attention to. Lincoln says this, no human counsel has devised nor has any mortal hands worked out any of these great things. They are the gracious gift of the mighty hand of God who while dealing with us in anger for our sins has nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our benevolent Father who dwells in heaven. Lincoln got it right, didn't he? Our country for years has gotten it right. Even to this day, we remember Thanksgiving. But I want us as Christ followers to make it something special, not just this year, but with our lives. Remembering with gratitude, not the stuff that we have, but who God is and what he has done. And my guess is, is when we can learn that, when we can learn what we uh, maybe don't, naturally know how to communicate with our lips when we learn who God is and what he has done, I think then we can give him praise with our mouths. Then we can lift it up. Then we can learn the language of gratitude. Let's do that. Let's make a commitment this Thanksgiving season to do that, to give him praise for who he is and what he's done. Will you pray with me this morning? As I close this morning, I'm just going to pause here for a few moments and ask you to reflect on those two things that we talked about. I want to ask you to reflect just privately in the quietness of this place on who God is. Take just a few moments and think about who God is. Then take just a few more moments and I want you to reflect and think about and dwell upon what God has done. You're a great God, a holy God. You're mighty in your ways. Yet you've been gentle and merciful and graceful with how you've dealt with us. And we who are here today as your people, we give you praise and we are grateful and thankful for what you've done. Help us, Father God, to be mindful of those things, ever mindful of who you are and what you've done. Let it not just be once a year, Father God, but let it be something that we as your people do on a continual basis, day in and day out. Let us be thankful for who you are and what you have done. Draw us closer to you as a result. And Father God, even in the midst of our desperate circumstances, may we pause and may we give you a praise of gratitude. If you're in this place and you've maybe never encountered Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
I explained just a few minutes ago that this one of the greatest thing that God did and the greatest thing we can give him praise for is the fact that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. Well, those sins included yours. And you can have the hope of heaven if you would just confess of your sins and ask Jesus Christ to be your savior. And if you have never done that before, I just want to take this opportunity to invite you to do that here today. So if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, the Bible says all you have to do is confess of your sins and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you will be saved. And so I'm going to say a prayer here and you can pray it quietly, silently to yourself. It goes something like this. God, thank you for making me. Father God, thanks for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Thank you that I can have eternal life because of what you did on the cross. And today, God, I confess of my sins. And I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. Help me to start living for you now in my newfound faith. If you prayed that prayer just in the quietness of this room with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to look up at me and just raise your hand. I won't embarrass you, but I want to give you the opportunity to respond on my left over here, anyone on my left? In the center sections, anyone pray to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior today? And on my right, anyone on my right? Father God, help us to be focused on you. Help us to really understand the language of gratitude and help us, God, to understand that when we learn that, when we praise you for who you are and what you've done, God, Therein we'll find worship. In Jesus' name I pray.